Welcome to Doers, where ideas are cheap and doing is everything. At the end of the day, the world comes down to two different kinds of people. The people who do stuff and the people who watch others do stuff. This is where I get to interview those who do stuff. I'm your host, Zach Slayback, and every week I talk to different people, different entrepreneurs, investors, artists, thinkers, intellectuals, people doing interesting things, building the world in which you and I live and learn about what they're doing, how they got started doing what they're doing, and any advice they might have for somebody who's listening along and thinks, that sounds interesting, I'd like to live the life that that person is doing. So, welcome to the show, I hope you enjoy it, and let's get started. This week on the show, I'm really excited to have on Ali Al-Shamsi. Now, Ali and I actually did our call from the opposite sides of the world, which was just awesome and amazing. I've done calls with people and interviews with people who are on different coasts of the U.S., which is pretty cool, you know, considering that your ancestors would have literally died of, like, dysentery trying to get from South Carolina to California, and it would have taken weeks, if not months. But I did a call with him from... I'm in Pennsylvania, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he was in Dubai. And the fact that we were able to do the call with minimal lag and just for free, essentially free, whatever the cost of you know the bandwidth was, is amazing. And you should appreciate that for just a moment. That that can be done. Uh, you know, 50 years ago, that probably would have never happened. I probably would have never talked to him. 100, 200 years ago, I, I would have certainly never spoken to him. So. Very, very cool. Ali is a businessman, an entrepreneur, an investor, a financial trader uh, who has had his fingers in dozens of companies. Uh, We talk a little bit about his efforts in incubating companies, uh, spinning them up and taking somebody else, putting them in charge and letting that person run with the company. We talk a little bit about uh, how he does his trading. His background is all over the map. Very, very interesting fellow. He was actually introduced to me by Gordon Miller, who has a similar kind of story. Gordon has had... uh, uh, 10 or 12 companies now, uh, only two of them have ever had to shut down and is has his fingers in many things. So these guys are definitely doers. Uh, Ali talks about his idea for a success formula. He's at the point now where, you know, he's sold companies. So now he wants to write about the, the way that he's been able to get to where he is. And he gives an opposite kind of advice that you hear from people who say you need to find one thing and become very, very good at that. And he doesn't necessarily disagree with that. He says that that's true if your goal is maybe to become a billionaire, but if your goal is just financial independence, which takes a lot less money than people think, then if you can think of it like fishing. I'll let him tell that story. I'll let him give that analogy. I'm not going to ruin it, but I've heard similar advice from people like James Altucher, from Gary Vaynerchuk, from people like that. Uh, so he falls into good company in that regard. So really fun conversation kind of all over the map. We talk a little bit about his philosophy for success. We talk a little bit about how to build businesses, how to scale those businesses. If you're a young person listening today, how you can actionably take well, take action on what we talk about in the conversation. So enjoyable conversation. Uh, Please stick around and you can find Ali on Quora. He's really popular on Quora right now at Ali Al-Shamsi. That's A-L-I-A-L-S-H-A-M-S-I. 
I accidentally Googled Ali Al-Shami earlier and it was a Lebanese uh, academics. And so that was, that was not the right person. So Ali Al-Shamsi, you can find him on his website, alioalshamsi.com. You can find him on Twitter. I'll have links in the show notes about all of these. So do enjoy. Awesome. Cool. So, you know, you like to write on uh, economic theorizing, so we can get into that. But I'm going to kind of let you guide the conversation by just saying like what you do, how you got into those things, and uh, any advice you might have for people who want to who are aspiring to get into like incubating lots of companies and products like you do. Uh, what I want to, to talk about really is something uh, very repetitively asked uh, to me is how to succeed. There is a formula for that, and most people, it's it's like common sense, but most people just don't see it. Well, what's the formula? <laughs> it's easy. It's super easy. If you're, uh, let, let me draw this mental image to you, for you. Uh, if, if you're throwing uh, a fishing rod, okay, you're just throwing a single line. And you're waiting for a single fish to catch up, right? That would take you hours. But what if you throw 10 of them? That might take less, mm. right? You eventually mm. gonna get one of them. What if you throw a whole net? You will get something. Even a shoe, but you'll get something. <laughs> With success, it's, there, there is no such thing as luck. It's statistical probability. Mm. What most people do is that they start up with an idea. They take debt, loans, and they borrow from their friends a lot of money. And it's a 50-50 chance. I don't care how good your idea is or how bad it is. It's a 50-50 chance. No matter what you tell me, if I'm sitting on a board for a venture, uh, investment company, every opportunity in my face is a 50-50 chance. There is nothing more or less. Anyone would tell you otherwise is delusional. So, what I would do is that I would look at that business. How much did you spend on it? You should not spend more than uh, a salary worth, a month salary worth, to seed your business and it should start really really teeny tiny online mm -hmm. we're not living back in the industrial age we're living in the internet age so you can open at least three online businesses and try now the statistic is that you have three throws 50 50 and 50 percent right eventually one of them is gonna work and that's all you need. And that's all you need to keep growing that business. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Now that you've got your success, your single success business, you don't stop there. You create more. Why? Because you're still in the 50-50 chance until you finish three years. So you keep opening new businesses. I always say failure is an investment with compound interest. 
Why is that? You see that 50-50% chance. Your probability get better when you fail. Because you learn something. Why did you fail? So the next time you try, it's easier, it's quicker, it's faster to win again. So what, what would you say to someone, though, who comes back to this and gives you the counter-argument, okay, sure, the more lines I have out, the higher the probability I'm going to catch a fish. But at a certain point, maybe that's actually just on the second line, I'm going to start getting diminishing marginal returns. Instead, it's better for me to focus all of my energy in the one line and try to become very, very good at that line. Sound perfect. Now, the, the goal is financial success. Financial success is basically where you are comfortable uh, paying your bills, you have savings for emergencies, and you have savings for your life goal and future goals, right? Your goal is to make that happen. Now, when you focus on a single opportunity, and it's a high, high risk, that's 50-50 chance. Again, you might win it, you might win it big, or you might lose it. If your goal is financial success, you might want the bigger probability. If you want to be a multimillionaire or a billionaire, that's when you focus on a single opportunity. Mm. But here's the thing. To be able to nurture that opportunity and focus on it 100%, you need to be free of your bills and debts and everything. Okay, so you need to achieve financial success first. And that will give uh, trust from venture capitalist to you to finance your idea. Now, one last thing. The problem with focusing on a single idea from the beginning is if you fail and you have a debt, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's gonna happen. If it's not the first year, it's the second year, it's the third year. That's gonna happen. You have a debt. When can you try again? Uh, to start a new business. You can try again when you pay your debt. And most likely, most of the people will pay the debt within one to five years, right? Now, if you started really tiny, teeny, small, for the purpose of achieving financial success, if you fail this month, fine. You can try again next month. Okay, and if you fail in the next month, you can try again the third month, and so on, and so on, and so on. So eventually, out of 12 trials, or at least four trials, and your goal is to get financial success, for example, within five years, you have one trial per quarter. How many trials do you get? To get one trial per quarter, you're going to get four trials. Yeah, put that in five years. You're trying for five years to get that success. So if you're aiming for financial success, you start small. If you're aiming to be one of these, uh, one of these uh, tech billionaires, okay, you still need financial success because you want to look good in front of the venture capitalists. You want a history behind you of success. Yeah, you're going to need a track record to tell them, hey, uh, I, I'm going to sell you 20% of my company for a million dollars, and you're not just you know, some kid on the internet, right? Exactly. You don't want uh, you don't want to sound ridiculous to them because that's 
one go, not no venture capital will listen to you twice. They listen mm-hmm. to thousands and thousands of people every day. Yeah, and, I, and I've heard it said, uh, I can't remember who said this, I think it was Paul Graham or Sam Altman, one of the Y Combinator guys, who said, even if you do get that venture capitalist to buy in, you, know, you have to set milestones, right? You have to say, we're going to achieve this by this date, we're going to achieve this by this date, we're going to achieve this by this date. And oftentimes, you'll receive the money in different uh, waves, or that will be what will allow them to buy in for a second round to give you more funding. And anytime you hit your milestones, they'll believe anything you say. Anytime you don't hit your milestones, they won't believe a single word of what you say. So I, I, I can see that being the, this, this idea of like compounding uh, attempts at success being really, really important, even within a single venture, right? Here's the thing. With, with, with the funding, what you aim for is compound trust. Okay? You're compounding the people trust. Mm-hmm. So let's say, why did I say start from your own pocket money? So when you ask your friends and family, this is the first seeding you will get after your own seeding. So this is the second wave of funding. So if they trusted you and they will trust you easily because they love you, they don't uh, trust your idea, but they love you and they will help you out. If you made success out of that, their friends and family will trust you about it. Those are semi-strangers. And then these people, other friends and family, will uh, trust you. And these are complete strangers. When you get to the level of compounding trust to complete strangers, okay, investing in you, that's when you talk to big venture capitalists and angel, uh, you already talked to angel investors at this point, that's when you talk to venture capitalists. Venture capitalists are uh, total strangers who not even have a neutral eye on you. They look why he will fail. They're asking themselves why the hell he will fail. They don't ask themselves, okay, we're neutral, we'll listen up. Okay, he's going to fail. Where he's going to fail? That's what they're listening to when you're giving them the bitch. But why is it set up in such a way that they that they're going to be looking at the downside constantly? Hmm. Here's the thing: if there is something gonna fail, it's going to fail. Okay. If there is a probability this thing gonna happen, it's gonna happen. For some reason, it always happens. From my experience, watching so many businesses starting up, and they expect they will face that problem or that problem, they always face that problem. Yeah. So you you would rather have someone who comes to you and says, I expect I will find this problem. Okay. If I hear someone telling me they expect to find X, Y, and Z problems, I know they understand what what they're doing. Yeah. Especially if they're answering my concern. The, what would make them more interesting is that one, if they have plan B to counter these problems and they sound really good to me, or they would ask me to help them figure out a plan B because there is nothing better than someone saying, I don't freaking know. Okay, I need help. Part of the venture capitalist job is not just give you the money. They're not banks. They give you money. They give you connections. They give you support. And they give you advice. And that's why they join 
uh, on the board of your company, they don't just watch you and ask you in every quarter, how much did you make us? They actually get involved in the decision making. So different different investors have different philosophies when it comes to the extent to which they want to be involved in their portfolio companies. I've talked to some VCs who, you know, if the company comes to them and says, hey, we need X, Y, and Z, can you provide it for us? They'll say, sure, but otherwise they won't get involved. Other ones like to be a lot more involved. What's your personal philosophy on the extent to which a uh, an investor should be involved in one of their portfolio companies? I would say the size of the company. Now, if so, so does that mean the bigger the company is, the more involved, or the less, the smaller the company is, the more involved? Yeah, uh, the smaller companies, you don't need to get that involved. Why? Okay. Uh, this will sound a little bit cool. Now, if you have each company, a small company, let's say you have uh, companies rounding funding from ten thousand to a hundred thousand dollars, okay, and you're funding about a hundred company of these. Okay. First of all, you don't have the energy or the time to listen up to all of them. So you give them the money and you don't know. It's a 50-50 chance. One of them will going to make a huge success and it will make up for all the loss everyone else is making. That's the shotgun approach. Okay. There are other companies where you invest much more into them. Okay. You give them a semi-interest as in between 100 to uh, 999, uh, basically shy of a million dollar, you'll give them a semi-interest. That's where you see them semi-annually or uh, per quarter once. You don't care what's happening, okay? But you're just watching the progress. And when you see a flag, you talk. And when you talk, you just want to hear how your concerns are going to be met. You don't get into the decision-making. You're just outsounding, outsounding your concerns. Now, when you invest in higher numbers from a million above, that's when you become <laughs> more or less uh, the mother-in-law. Okay? You stick there and you keep asking, what are you going to do? What are you planning? Change this, do this, change that. You need help in this. You need help in that. I'm going to bring these people to help you on this. I'm going to bring these people to help you on that. Because you expect, you did not invest in these guys just because they are larger. You invested in these guys because you expect a potential growth. You can exit from with a potential profit. So you want them to meet that potential growth. Therefore, you're involved to push them forward. And they appreciate that. Mm -hmm. While smaller ones, if you're going to do the same effort, you, can, you can't keep it up. So I know a lot of founders are, they, they hear this and they say, yeah, absolutely. I want my investor to be involved. I want them to give good feedback. I want them to see when things are going wrong. But I think there's also a fear in the mind of the founder that, oh, if I'm too transparent with the investor, they're going to fire me. How, how do you balance that fear for an, an entrepreneur to stay, be, be transparent with their investor, let them know, hey, this is going wrong. I don't know how to solve it, or I could really use your help on this without them having to worry like, 
oh, crap, the investor is going to see me as incompetent and they're going to try to remove me and replace me with like a professional CEO. Okay. Uh, first of all, every startup uh, team is perceived as not uh, competent at all. No one sees them as competent. Okay. Every venture capitalist and every angel investor, all in this business, they know this. They don't expect you to be the super professional CEO. They know you're, you are gonna screw up. They know you are, you need a lot of guidance and they know that you have the skill to take it out there and you're gonna get it up eventually. And eventually we, we need to kick you out as a CEO and put someone to actually manage the, the business while you manage the CEO and everyone else to keep the vision right. Kind of like, uh, Look at every tech company came out there. Uh, all these guys have no idea how to run a business. From Bill Gates to Mark Zuckerberg to Google guys and everyone else. These guys have no freaking idea how to run a business. These guys are tech heads, right? And they got education later on on how to run businesses. They got a team of managers to run things for them. Now, this comes at a later stage when you need a CEO, okay, uh, to take over when a business reach a certain size. So what does that tell you? At your teeny tiny level, don't worry, no one will kick your ass out. At the, at the level where you expect your ass to be kicked out, you will be thankful for it because you will not have to handle all that headache and you will be guiding the vision while you're sitting, enjoying your money. You'll be too big to care about that problem later on. Even take uh, Elon Musk. He's, he's not directing the business directly. He's directing the vision. Look at uh, the guy from uh, Virgin Galactic. What, what was his name? Uh, uh, Richard Branson. Richard Branson. <coughs> he's not managing any of his companies. He's the, the image guy. He's mm -hmm. the vision same goes with uh, with Bill Gates, same goes with Zuckerberg, the same goes with everyone. They are the image CEO, but there are people who actually do the day-to-day -day detail work. You're not expected to be uh, the business genius who run this. Everyone have their own specialty. At this point, you're the guy who understands how the technicality of this product works. When you have a problem, I need to hear it. So I can help you out. So don't shy out from saying I have a problem. Because the earlier I can help, the better. I can yeah. trust you. It, it, it's like the, the, the idea of compound trust you have, right? If they're trying to hide something from you, there's, there's negative compound trust as well. Exactly. So the more you are transparent, the better. But there is something. Don't be annoying. <laughs> yeah, don't be a child. I mean... There is some stuff, if you just Google it, you will find a solution. Simple as that. There is uh, some trivial stuff that you don't need to ask about. But when it comes to something big, okay, or something medium, you, you know you're going to hit a wall there. Come and ask. Yeah, you know, just as a complete aside, I 
in my last role, uh, I, I helped run an apprenticeship program for aspiring young entrepreneurs. And it's amazing. The skill of just learning to know when, when and how to Google can take you so much further in life and help you build up so much more social capital with people. So you don't have to constantly pester them and be like, how do I do this thing? And it's like, well, if you just Googled, how do I do this thing? You would have found that out. Now you've wasted 20 minutes of my time. Congratulations. Exactly. Uh, the thing is, one of the things uh, I do in life and it teach me a lot is that I'm, I'm sitting around and I'm wondering about something silly, stupid. I would not forget about it. I would open actually Google and look it up. I would learn something new. Uh, before I ask anyone, how would you do this? Or how would you go for that? I would Google first. Oh, yeah. No. Get it? Then ask. Yeah, no. I, I consider myself to having a, a PhD in Wikipedia. <laughs> Most of what I know, like a good chunk of what I know, especially when it comes to like really irrelevant stuff like history. I, uh, I, it's just from falling down Wikipedia rabbit holes from having to Google a random question like that. So I, I want to come back to your success formula, right? Get as many lines in the water as possible, and then you're going to catch more fish. And this is an idea that thankfully I've been hearing a little bit more and more after a bit of a pushback against the idea that, oh, you should focus on one thing and just become really, really good at that. Which I think there's there's certain arguments to be made for that uh, in certain contexts. Like you noted, if you're attempting to build like a multi-billion dollar company, eventually you're going to need to go all in on that. However, that's going to have certain assumptions about your ability to do so built into it in the first place. Um, so what, what brought you to – what life experiences gave you the opportunity to understand, oh, the more, the more things I have my fingers in, the higher the probability that I'm actually going to be successful? What, what's, what's your background with building businesses like that? Uh, basically, this was not a life experience. This was a fault in my, in my character. So all my life, I'm hearing people saying – uh, you're like an octopus. Your hand is everywhere. You're uh, trying to do many things at the same time. I really get bored. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's my downside. I really get bored. So I would sit down. Like one of my habits is I would sit down out of boredom and uh, withdraw uh or invent new products or services, and I would design the whole feasibility study behind them, uh, and I would imagine every little uh, problem with it. But since I uh, created my own formula of uh, sales and marketing and how to offer the product online and or the service, it's kind of a template. So whatever product or service I throw it on that template. Okay, with a little tweaks here and there, and I have a new business this week. Okay, uh, and to be honest, I'm kind of a lazy person. <laughs> I, 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 it's not about being lazy, really. I hate to do repetitive stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, God bless these factory workers. They are beyond me. I think they hit Nirvana to do a repetitive job. For me, it would kill me. I would, I would suicide if I had to do something repetitively every day. Uh, 
but some people are amazing that way. They can handle, uh, they, they, they can handle that pressure and keep it going. Uh, people like me, they cannot manage a single business for a long time. So in order to grow those businesses, though, you're going to need to find other people to work with, right? People you can delegate to, people who they can do that, those kinds of tasks. How do you find someone like that? So I start a business. I'm really good at doing that. Okay. At the beginning, I consumed literally every friend of mine. I hired everyone I know. And beyond that, it became kind of a pain uh, to find people. So what we did is that um, we have, in the holding company, uh, we had a team that is dedicated to find project managers. And then these guys, how, uh, we, we got into a certain size, it's okay, too much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm not keeping all of these businesses. They're, they're nice. They're making me a lot of money. But once they mature, we created a, another division is find a buyer, sell them. We don't need them. Regardless, I don't care how much they make. You have to sell them. So you have a brokerage for your businesses in addition to just holding the businesses as well? Yes. So I became really good at doing that. So we we became producer of Freddy businesses. We Our businesses became kind of like real estate. Uh, you buy it, you get a certain percentage. It's a tried formula. It's nothing you have to be genius about. You need the minimal amount of uh, staff to run it. And it will run on its own like a puppy. Okay. And if you want extra, and they, these guys will come back to me for extra re-innovation. As in update the product or update the service. And, uh, become a little bit more creative. So we created another division, an after-service division. So in return for a percentage of the business we sold to you, okay, we will keep it updated. We will keep it uh, up ahead of the competition and we will update the template to keep it ahead of the competition. So so what, what's the analysis that you do of a given... I, I mean, I imagine the companies that you're working with are probably in different industries, right? They're not all in one industry. What's the approach that you take in order to figure out, okay, this is what the competition is doing. This is how we get ahead of the competition. It's a simple thing. The competition, uh, you don't have to beat the competition. You don't have to worry about the competition. The competition is something good actually to have. They actually created the market for you. They advertise the hell out of the market so you can actually take uh, easy money out of the market. If you take a 0.01% of the market share, you're still good. You're still making millions. So don't bother with competition. The market is big enough. Your goal, if you're looking for financial success, uh, doing as many projects as you can, you don't need to be the number one. You're not even, you don't even need to be the number 100. Okay. You don't care. The moment you care that you want to become the number one in the market or number 100. Okay. Uh, as a market shareholder, uh, then what you would do is simple. You innovate. You innovate. 
the market is sick of the products that already exist. These products have faults that the market wish for them to be fixed. Mm-hmm. You just fix the faults. How do you find those faults in a specific product, though? Go use it. Talk to the people who use it. And they will tell you about it. And sometimes you stumble upon upon it. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of an example. Uh, you know, I find it interesting that, you, you're, you know, hey, if you want to be successful, you don't need to be the top one or the top 100. I was actually having a conversation with somebody the other day uh, here about how this person sits in on pitches for angel investors in, in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania region. And she noted that, I find it really annoying when I'm sitting uh, listening to pitches and investors say they don't want to get in on a certain area because there's already somebody doing that area. But the reality is you can have lots of companies doing something in one area, which is always always interesting when someone's like, oh, Uber is going to come and like destroy this sector. And it's like, well, there you can have multiple companies doing the same thing, providing the same service. There's no reason why one company needs to dominate that entire sector, right? Exactly. That's that's the beauty of it. The market is not that small, unless you are really in a small country. Okay, but uh, the thing is, with the internet opened up uh, the whole world, there is no market that is small. If you're in a third developed country, or uh, if you're anywhere in the world, you can sell anywhere in the world. No one, no one will stop you from doing that. So a young person's listening to this right now, right? And he- what, there was a point you made earlier that that I I've made multiple times, which is yeah we're not in the industrial age anymore, and we're not even in like the 1990s, right? Like I was at a party in in the San Francisco Bay Area last summer, and there were some you know serial entrepreneurs, there investors, and some older guys. And one of them noted to me, he's like, yeah, you know, I started my first company in 1997, 1998. Uh, we built software, blah 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 blah. We raised three million dollars just to build the program, right? And this is software. And, and, and this is and today, today, like a kid could have built that program in the amount of time that the party took, probably for free, right? <laughs> I mean, so, even if, if, if you take it, by the way, the way I'm doing this thing is that because the, the, the way I'm doing my own business is that I'm spreading everywhere in every industry. But you mentioned the apps. Uh, people can specifically just make a portfolio of apps and still make a lot of money. That's why you have a lot of uh, gaming companies having hundreds of games and they're just advertising. They don't care. Yeah. They don't demographic. They just sell. Yeah. Yeah, it's just someone someone clicking or even accidentally clicking on the little ad at the bottom of the game, right? <laughs> if you do that enough times over, you're going to make money. It's, it's, the, it's the sales funnel. The moment you understand the sales funnel, it's a thing. One of the things I always speak about is the sales funnel. If you want to move from a job and you're scared out of your mind that your income will not be stable, just learn how to manage your sales funnel. If you understand the seasonality of your business, okay, and the scaling of the conversion rate you have, okay, then you know how much money you will get literally every month. And here's the thing. If someone can sell a shit bag, literally, okay, on the internet, and they're making 
and explosive success, pun intended, uh, you can too, regardless whatever your product is. No one care what your product is. You can sell it as long as you know your demographic. As, lo- as long as you can target that demographic, you can sell whatever you want. You're not limited by brick and mortar uh, shop. You're not limited by the footfall in front of your shop. You have the whole world to sell to. You just need to find who is interested in that stuff and target them, advertise. There is, uh, I have a saying that you can never waste money on advertising. It's the only investment that cannot be wasted. If you know your target market, your demographic, you can throw as much money as you want and you'll still make a lot back in revenue form. More than what you put in originally. Once once you have an idea of what your advertising or a sales funnel looks like. Yeah, and you can explore that simply by doing uh, a small target. Just spend a little money every day uh, on advertising, just narrowing down the target. For example, you start with a wide audience, then for, a, for one week, then you look at the demographics that watch the advertisement, and then you drill down uh, based on the demographic statistics. For example, males seeing this advertisement way more, but females do hit clicks much more than the males. So you focus on the females. And then you drill down again. You see which age groups of the females are more interested in your product. You focus on that group. And then you look at the interests of that group. Which interest group? I'm, I'm thinking Facebook, by the way, advertisement uh, breaking down. So you look at the interests and you pick the interests. So now you've got uh, a very, very, very precise targeting of your market. You had to spend some money on it, but it saved you from paying a lot of money uh, over the time. You just experimented in the beginning and you keep doing it. And you keep optimizing the advertisement. It's not, uh, it's not that hard. It, it doesn't need experts for you to do this. Uh, all you need is just look at where the money is focusing. So you keep drilling down and you widen up. But never mix two countries' demographics as the same thing. You'd be surprised by what Indians think interesting and what Americans think interesting and what offend these guys and what interests males or females uh in different countries. For example, we had the product was very interesting for males in India, but much more interesting to females in America. Interesting. Huh. So that's that's a two-cent uh, lesson you have to learn, that you don't want to waste a lot of money advertising to the wrong demographic because of something we always forget, culture. Hmm. So someone's listening to this right now, right? And I'm going to ask this question for two related things that we've talked about. Uh, But the first, someone's listening to this right now. Let's say they're 16, 17 years old. They really like this idea of just going out there and starting uh, a business online, whether it's an e-commerce business, an app, anything like that. What would be like the first actionable step when they're done with this podcast that you recommend they go do? Okay, for them to start... Anything they want. First of, th- first of all, 
find your passion. I have a passion formula. Uh, is it's the intersection of interests, hobbies, and product and services. That's what will result in out of it. And when I say hobby, I'm talking about skills that you enjoy doing. Okay, like for example, uh, a teenage boy who really enjoys uh, programming games. His interest is games. So eventually, the product he will create is obviously games, right? So you're interested in uh, writing, right? And for, uh, let, let's say any combination of interests, right? And hobbies. So if your hobby is, uh, let's say, writing, and your interest is reading uh, fiction, so why not go ahead and write a fiction book? If your hobby is, let's say, designing t-shirts, okay, and uh, your interest is, let's say, manga, anime, uh, games, fine. Why not make shirts with these designs? That's something you are interested in and you know the community that is interested in. So that, that's how you pick what product you start with or what service you start with. And go from there. And don't stop there. Create all combinations possible out of your hobbies and interests to produce as many products and services as you can and start building them one after the other. Not all at the same time. You're not that good. Okay? Just start them one after the other in sequence and watch them and keep watching and provide a good service. Don't be uh, an arrogant ass to your customers. Your customers are your God. If you would pray to anyone, pray to your customers. Okay? <laughs> they make your success. So someone's listening to this and similar question, same question, but they want to get into this point where you can have your fingers in many, many businesses, whether that's through like uh, incubating businesses or doing private equity work, kind of kind of like what you do where you're working with many, many businesses, right? You have, you find people to delegate to, uh, you help them launch new products, things like that. How, what advice do you have to them to try to get into something like that? Because I meet a lot of people. I mean, I could ask the question separately about just venture capital. The uh, the number of people I meet who are like, oh, I want to get into venture capital. First of all, most of them, you need to ask them, why do you want to do that? Because they don't actually know what that is. Uh, but even then, it's like, it's not exactly a clear thing to get into unless you just like go be an associate at a big firm, which I, I don't personally think is the best way to get into it. Let me say this. I don't recommend it for anyone. <laughs> I hear that a lot too. <laughs> it's 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 a lot of fun, okay? It's a lot of fun, but at the same time, it's a nightmare. It's a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, a lot of people talking to you, a lot of uh, emergencies every day. Uh, and people constantly asking you for money too, I imagine. Obviously. Um, I, I, I had to sell that business out, okay? Um, my my it, it affected even my health. It's too much to manage. It's uh, it's too much headache to, to handle. And you think it's worth it. Here is where you think, okay, how much money is enough money? Okay. That's where I decided, okay, I'm selling this business. 
it's eating up all my time. My baby daughter, the son of my heart, is more precious to me to spend time with her than this business. So I decided, okay, I'm selling all of that, putting it into the fund and throwing it into the investment uh, AI I have in the financial markets and let it do its magic. And even in financial markets, by the way, speaking of which, uh, you can do the same approach of your hand everywhere, your fingers are everywhere, octopus approach by creating profiles uh, with different targets, with different ideas uh, and different commodities and stocks and services, whatever you want. Uh, throw these profiles in the market as many as possible with as many targets as possible and it's the same thing as owning a business. The only different, uh, like owning many businesses, but the only difference is uh, with businesses, you have much higher rate of return. With financial options, it's a lower return. It's, uh, uh, it have its own risk, just like business. Okay. But it's, it can be automated. You can forget about, it. you can tweak it once or twice a, th- a day and that's it. But with, uh, but that requires really, really advanced education in finance. In businesses though, you have the advantage of higher margin, way, way, way much higher margin. So for example, you can sell a product, uh, that costs 10% of the price you're asking for. But you're offering something that is non-existent in the market. That's what innovation gives you. Innovation allows you to add as much margin as you want. Okay? Because you're the only one there. And the moment competition comes in, that's where you have to compete with the competition on the, on the prices. Now, uh, back to the formula of happiness. You have to stop at some point. If your goal is financial success, Put in your head, how much salary do I want per month to, to be happy for the rest of my life? I can retire now. Okay. And account for inflation, please. Don't forget that. So you're not screwed by the future. And once you put that target in your head, you think, okay, this will make me comfortable. I can spend enough uh, on my children or my house or buying a house or buying a car or buying whatever and it's worth noting too that that number is probably a lot smaller than most people think yeah i hear a lot of people talking how can i become a billionaire <laughs> really dude start start by being a, a freaking hundred thousandaire <laughs> a multi-thousandaire and then think about the millionaire and billionaire and stuff I mean, I I do think it is valuable for both for your work ethic and for anchoring your goals to set your goals really, really high. But when you're realistically trying to think what your like month to month income needs to be, uh, you know, I I was listening to somebody point this out once where it was like, even if you want to like live on a tropical island, you can probably do that for like a tenth of what you think you need to own or earn. Yeah. And that is the thing. I, I'm against setting goals much higher than your actual real goals. That gets you depression. That's not good. You're, you're, uh, you're negatively rewarding yourself. 
there is a, an energy uh, spreading that is a negative energy. I don't know if you believe in that, but uh, humans are a ball of energy, of emotional energy. So if you're managing your energy properly, your emotional energy properly, you will, you will have the, the, the capacity to do business and to do work every day. But if you're depressing yourself every day, why would you do anything? Mm-hmm. You would stop. And here's the thing. If you want to live like a billionaire, honestly speaking, 50 million is more than enough. Yeah. 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 You, there, there is nothing a billionaire can buy. You cannot buy with uh, the, the return from $50 million. Okay? Unless you're going for a humongous boat, which is stupid. Why would you do that? No, you could just put that money in a room and light it on fire instead. Here's the freaking thing. I, I know a lot of I, I know a lot of billionaires. They they buy uh, stupid things and they regret it. I know that guy who bought a humongous yacht. Okay, he used it once a year. Yeah, this is his biggest regret. He doesn't he doesn't know what to do with it. He wanted to rent it out. And then it's it's all designed privately for him. All his private stuff is there, so removing it back and forth, it's 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 not good, and it will it will destroy his boat basically if he's renting it out. And even if he rent it out, how much he would rent it out for? It will not be worth it. He overspent on it on the the smallest details. Who will he spend it on? So you don't need to own everything. Okay, you don't need to go ahead and buy everything. You can rent anything, literally. You want to live in an island? Okay, you want to buy an, an island and live there? Hell, wait. Just go rent an island, live there for a month, and I dare you to stay there for over a, for over a week. <laughs> it's the most boring experience. I, I remember... I remember reading once though that you could you could literally rent Richard Branson's island in the Caribbean for something like twenty five thousand dollars a week or like ten thousand dollars a week, something like that. Something like relatively reasonable when you think about it. So yeah, you could go live on the island for four weeks if you wanted, where you're simulating living on an island full time for what, like forty thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars? That's a lot less than like fifty million that it might take to buy a very small island. Yeah, dude, let me tell you this. Been there, done that, okay? Uh, there is a lot of overrated stuff, okay? For example, owning your own jet. One of the stupidest things to do. Oh, just light money on fire. Again, just light the money on fire. You're paying a lot of money for the fuel, for the captain, for the crew, for the space part, for the aircraft itself. And you can fly much more comfortably and first class and get points and go for free next time okay rather than flying on your own jet or you could or you could sign up there's there's like lots of services out there that let you sign up to use these private jets wait for it for it private jets are extremely overrated have you ever been on one i i have but it's yeah i have I, my family works in aviation so <laughs> it's too bumpy dude why would i Put myself in an extremely bumpy ride when I can ride first class on a giant jet, okay, a commercial jet, 
where I will not feel all the bumpiness. And uh, uh, rather than riding a small jet and it shakes like hell, okay, and it's scary as hell to fly, specifically over the Pacific, <laughs> I mean, it's a nightmare. To be fair, though, to, to, to be to be entirely fair, Ali, you are in uh, you're in the United Arab Emirates and your airlines, your first class. Amazing. Uh, the TSA in first class here in the U.S. Uh, <laughs> I can understand. I can understand the appeal of not having to go through the TSA at the very least if you had a private jet. Dude, we have bedrooms in first class. I've seen this. It's, the, it's, the air mile, the, air, the, the mile high club is have a different definition than <laughs> <laughs> okay so it's like you're flying on a yacht literally yeah. but uh yeah that's that's more appealing uh to pay and it's cheaper actually than renting a jet yeah uh that makes more sense back to the point you don't have to own everything there's a lot of things that are overrated like sport cards just rent them you'll get bored of them real quick it took me one weekend to get bored of Rolls Royce. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean it. I'm serious. It took me one weekend. I got bored of it. I felt it's overrated as hell. The moment I heard the fan, okay, you, you, you even, you hear all the overhyped thing about Rolls Royce. And then you hear the fan of the engine and you just realize this is a freaking car. Okay, it's a nice ride. It's an amazing ride, but it's an overrated ride. It's just a status symbol. If your dick is so small, okay, <laughs> just to compensate for it, to show that you're wealthy, okay, go ahead for it. Okay, it will help you get some chicks, but it's a very expensive way to get chicks. On that note, where where can someone find you online if they if they've enjoyed this conversation? Uh, well, you can find me on my website, uh, alioalshamsi.com. Uh, I hope you can provide a link for that. I, I don't can do that. want to hear the whole spelling there. <laughs> and you can find me on Quora. Uh, uh, I will be so happy if you can uh, join in uh, on Quora. You will find on my website that I'm working on an economic research. I'm looking for an alternative economic uh model or system to replace the current uh, systems we have like communism, socialism, and capitalism. And I have been doing that for 17 years. I just started publishing this. After I sold uh, the company I had, I decided this will be uh, my focus in life from now on. And uh, the door is open for volunteers to join in. And one last thing is... Uh, I'm writing a, bo a book or a guide uh, that will be open for free to everyone. I'm not selling anything on my website, by the way. Uh, I call it success engineering. It's how you properly design uh, your success mathematically uh, in a way that is proven and tried so you can go and attain that financial success or financial security you desired for your whole life, but you need to wait on me while I write it down. I'm, I'm doing it page by page, 
uh, as much time as I, as I get. And you have to bear that. You have to bear with me. English is not my first language. Uh, so you'll see a lot of uh, grammar mistakes and spelling mistakes. There is volunteers who, who are helping me out with that uh, stuff. But uh, the science behind if they were born to a poorer father, if I was poorer, they would not have uh, the chance to follow their own passion because I would not be able to provide it for them or not open it up for them. So I want to open up the, the world for all the passionate people to follow their own passion, not just pay the freaking bills. If you want to help me with that, please visit my website, follow me on Quora, follow me on Twitter, and let's do it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ali. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Hey, Zach here. Thank you so much for listening to Doers today. I absolutely love the opportunity to sit down with people who are doing what they love and find out how they did that and what they learned and how they learned in order to get to where they are today. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. I'm looking forward to doing plenty of them in the future. If you can, if you're listening to this on the podcast app or on iTunes, if you can go give it a rating, I'd really appreciate that. The more ratings we get, the more listeners we'll get and the more interesting interviews we'll be able to get. You can reach out to me at Zach at Slayback.xyz. If you have any recommendations for who you'd like to see interviewed on the show, shoot me an email, Zach, Z-A-K, at Slayback.xyz. And any questions you might have, I'm free and happy to answer them there. You can find me on Facebook, and you can find me on Twitter as well. So please go give the show a rating, share it with your friends, shoot it around, and be sure to check in for next week. Thanks so much.